0: Well, good morning. Good morning. How's everybody? We pray that you had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, I know I did. Anytime I get to spend time with my family, uh, it is a wonderful time. And um, Aphrodite and I got to see our, our, our two grand boys, and um, we got to spend uh, quite a bit of time with, with them. Um, I was glad to see them come. And when they left, I realized how quiet the house was, because <laughs> they are truly a hand—a handful. What a blessing it is, you know, to um, be here this morning and stand before you. Um, but I want to encourage you as we get ready to hear what the Lord has to say. Um, and that is, you know, to be prayerful for those individuals where this season is not such a happy season. Amen. Now, I know it's a joyous time, but for some, it is not so joyous. It brings up you know old memories. so um, I pray that we will keep them in our prayers. So, let us pray. Father God, we thank you, and all for your word for the question is raised what is truth and the response is that your word is true so Lord we thank you and all that your truth lives inside of us we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life We thank you, Father God, that one day we get to live where you live, and that is in eternity. But while we are here, we pray that you will strengthen our hearts and our minds, that you will grow us in a way that we have a holy boldness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. So, Lord, do what you do so well. That is, love us in spite of ourselves. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. May everything that I say, may everything that I do bring honor and glory to your name. May your people receive the word and that may their hearts be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well today I want to come to you from the book of Philippians, um, I, I really do uh, like this book, it is a book of joy, a book of suffering, and a book of encouragement. And so I'm going to start in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, and I could have had a PowerPoint and put the words up there and all for you, but um, I wanted to hear pages rattling this morning. You know, I think sometimes we get too comfortable you know, with just having things thrown up on the screen for us, and all. So I didn't make it that easy for you this morning, and so you're going to have to do a little bit of work, and uh, and in a little while you'll understand all you know, kind of what I'm what I'm talking about. Amen. The word happiness invokes visions of unwrapping gifts on Christmas, walking hand in hand with your loved ones, or being surprised on your on your birthday, or even responding to your favorite comedian. When I when I when I think of George Wallace, I just bust out laughing and I don't know something about him and all it just makes me makes me laugh or vacationing in an exotic location. Everyone wants to be happy. We got songs about being happy. Everybody wants to be happy. And we make chasing this elusive idea a lifetime pursuit by spending money uh, on things that we don't necessarily need or want. Collecting things and searching for that new experience. But if happiness depends on circumstances and what's happening, then what happens when the toys rust, when loved ones die, when our health deteriorates, when our money runs out, and the party is over? When this happens, depression and despair often come knocking at our door. And if you like me and I'm like you, when somebody knocks at the door and the doorbell rings, I have the tendency to open the door. And we open ourselves up for those things to come into our life. But in contrast to happiness stands joy. Running deep and stronger joy is the quiet, confident assurance that God's love and work and he's at work in our lives, and he will be there no matter what happens. Amen. Happiness depends on what's happening, but joy depends on Christ. And in Philippians, Philippians is Paul's joy letter, and it incur- and, and, and his encouragement to the Philippians to keep growing in knowledge and in spiritual maturity. And so if you would join me, I want to read these passages of scripture, and then I want to talk about them a little bit, and then I have eight principles that I want to share with you. Is that all right? (laughs) Philippians 1 verse 3 begins with, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, witness how greatly I long for you all with the affections of Christ, of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more And more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things which are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And verse 9 says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. In other words, in knowledge and spiritual maturity. Paul opens up in verse 3 and he says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Why did he open up this way? Because he wanted to assure the Philippians of God's continued work in their lives. And he also wanted them to know of his satisfaction of their partnership in the work of the furtherance of the gospel. Do you feel that way about someone? Every time I think of my wife, I tell God, thank you. Every time I think of my children, I tell God, Thank you. Every time I think of my church family, I tell God, thank you. Do you tell God thank you for the people that come to your remembrance? And then he goes on to say, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Sixteen times the word joy is mentioned in the book of Philippians. And when something is mentioned that many times, you you know you need to pay attention to it. Amen? Amen? And so the Philippians were remembered with joy and thanksgiving whenever Paul prayed. When you pray, do you think of people with joy and thanksgiving? What comes to mind of other people when they think of you? Are you remembered for joy by them? Do your acts of kindness lift people up? Every time you think of someone, do you think of them with joy? And Paul goes on to say, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. For your fellowship, your partnership in spreading the gospel for the first day until now. You see, the Philippians first heard the gospel about 10 years earlier when Paul penned this. From his, when he and his companions visited Philippi doing Paul's second missionary journey. And that's when this church was founded. Strong Tower, when we help our pastor, when we help missionaries, when we help evangelists, when we pray with hospitality and when we give financial gifts, we become partners with our brothers in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you grown in spiritual maturity enough to spread the gospel, to spread the good news? Do you know how to spread the good news? To others? Because Paul says in verse 6, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is the one that begins this good work in each and every one of us. And he continues it throughout our lifetime and will finish it when we meet him face to face. Kathleen already read, you know, um, from um, Corinthians 13, you know, and and she says, now, when we become face-to-face with him, then we will be known. And the greatest principle is love. So we will meet God face-to-face. You see, the work, God began his work when Christ died on the cross for our sins. And he begins his work within us when we accept the Lord as our personal Lord and Savior. And then the Holy Spirit then enables us to live each and every day to be more Christ-like. I thank God for every day that I wake up that I get another opportunity to be more Christ-like because if you're like me and I'm like you and I'm pretty sure we are, I mess up during the course of a day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, this side was quiet. I'm gonna come over here. (laughs) Amen? Amen. All right. And so, um, thank you for that. Who did that say that? (laughs) Amen. Thank you, my little brother. Um, And and so, every day I get a chance and all God gives us a do-over to be more Christ-like on a daily basis. Do you sometimes feel like you're not making progress in your spiritual life, in your spiritual walk? I know I do. But here's what you need to know. When God starts a project, he finishes it. He leaves nothing undone. So if you feel like, you know, you you wake up in the morning and you're discouraged, remember that God will not give up on you. God never gives up on us. He promises to finish his work that he begins. So when you feel incomplete, damaged, remember God's promises. Remember his provisions in your life. If you feel unfinished, unnecessary, remember God's promises remember what he has brought you through. If you feel depressed or worried, remember you don't have to be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, just let your requests be made known unto God, and he promises that the peace of God will keep your heart and your mind. If you are unhappy, Remember the provisions and the promises. Don't let the present conditions rob you of your joy of knowing God or keep you from getting closer to him. And so Paul was very thankful for, because he knew that God who started this good work in him, despite what was going on in his life, was going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And he goes on in verse 7 and says, you know, just as it is right for me to think this of all of you, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me in grace. In other words, he's saying how natural it is now that I should feel this way about you all. For you have, uh, have a very special place in my heart, do you have people that have a very special place in your heart? Because you have shared with me in the blessings of God. You shared with me when I was in prison and when I was out and we defended the truth together. There's something about going through stuff with people that have a tendency of making us fonder of each other. When you go through some stuff, I know especially in marriage, when you go through some stuff together, you have a tendency to get closer. And so Paul had been through some things now with the Philippians in defending the gospel and in sharing the gospel. And even when he was in prison, it was the Philippians now that took care of Paul. And so he had a special place in his heart for them. And so Paul faithfully preached the good news no matter what the situation or the circumstances. Paul was a a brother after my own own heart. Uh, No matter what was going on in his life, you know, he stayed focused. He was right there. He was preaching the gospel. You know, he had just as much zeal in carrying the gospel forward as he did now when he was persecuting the Christians. Paul went all out, no matter what. Turn with me now to the book of Acts, if you will. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. Paul had some some terrible stuff going on, and this is where I got this title from, Be Strong in Your Spiritual Maturity, because if, if not, you might find yourself throwing a pity party for yourself and right here, I felt, you now all that Paul should have been throwing a pity party, but that's not what he was, he was doing. Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 22, it, it reads, Then the multitude rose up, rose up together against, him, against them, and the magistrate tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rise. Now, this is Paul and Silas. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them secure. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stock. But at midnight, Paul and Silas was praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, if you've been beaten, and thrown into prison, would you be singing hymns and praising God? I, I wouldn't. I've probably have been licking my wounds. Oh, woe is me. What did I do? I didn't do anything at all to deserve this. Why, God? I've probably been throwing my hands up in the air. Why, God? Why have you, why am I being persecuted? Why have you forsaken me? Me. I would have had all kinds of... I know y'all too spiritual for that. (laughs) But listen, but check out what's happened. So here these brothers are singing hymns, praying and singing hymns and giving praise to God. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, wakening from a sleep, I don't know how he was asleep doing all that. Wakening from a sleep, seeing the prison door open, supposing the prisoner had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, Do yourself no harm for we are all here. Now I would have been out. <laughs> Jailbreak. I'm gone. The doors just magically open and the chains that was around my ankles just fell off. Now, you know, thank you God. I appreciate you unlocking letting me out. I'd have been out of there. But no one moved. No one moved. And the jailer was about to kill himself, but Paul said, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they say. they said, Believe on, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the words of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. So here Paul is in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, he is taking the gospel forward. That requires some spiritual Maturity. And when he penned this, if you read verses 13 and 14 in Philippians, he's in jail writing to the Philippians. Something about jail that this brother just couldn't get away, away from. And so when life difficulties, whether they be small or large, slow you down from doing the work of God, we can remember Paul's and Silas's example. No matter what life circumstances are in your life, pray, pray, find yourself a hymn, sing it, and give praises to God, and everything will be all right because joy comes in the morning. Amen? Amen. 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 And so Paul goes on in verse 8 and said, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Have you ever longed for a friend with whom you shared fond memories? Paul has such a a longing to see the Christians at Philippi. Do you have a deep love for fellow Christians, friends, strangers alike? Do you have a love for people? I remember when I was in in seminary at Mid-America Theological Seminary, you know, in in Memphis, you know, they gave us these uh, these personality tests, and so I I was taking my little tests. I may have told y'all this before, you know, and so I gave it to the professor, you know, and he looked at the test and he looked at me and he looked at the test again and he looked looked at me and he. He looked at the test, and he looked at me, and finally, I just said, is something wrong? And he said, mm, no, but you sure you're in the right profession? And I'm like, well, why? And he said, well, according to this, you don't like people. <laughs> and, and here you are in seminary studying to be a minister and stuff. You, know, you sure you got the right, right voc- vocation? I said, well, all I know is I'm where God wants me to be. And so sometimes in life, you know, there are some things that happen to us that requires us to uh, throw some things off and have fond memories of some situations and some circumstances because Mid-American Seminary, you know, I, I, I have some very fond memories of that place. You know, they grew me uh, a lot. And so I thank them for what they instilled in me. But my family knows we had some trials and some tribulations while we were there, and you know, as well. But I still have a deep, a deep fondness in all for uh, that school. And Paul goes on to say, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all spiritual discernment. In other words, he's saying, my prayer for you is that you will overflow more and more with love for others. And I pray that your growth in spiritual knowledge and insight will increase. Often the best way to influence others is to pray for them. The best way to influence others is to pray for them. I remember growing up as a as a as a young man, um, I think I was about 16, 17 years old, and the statement was made to me that you'll never be nothing. And that hurt. That cut me to the core. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. That's all I could think to say. And that person said to me, I don't need you praying for me. And I said, well, that's one thing you can't control. I'm going to pray for you. And I prayed for that person. And some years later, just before Afridah and I got married, that person came to me and said, I'm proud of you. And that's when I realized God had answered my prayer. And to this day, I have a fondness, a a good memory for that person because that person not only taught me how to be tough, that person taught me how to work. That person taught me how to use my hands. That person taught me how to have a a good work ethic. And years later, I realized that that person was trying to make me tough the best way that they knew how but I didn't couldn't see that you no know, then and but for some reason the lord dropped in my spirit pray for this person and when people use you abuse you talk about you scandalize your name pray for them and i promise you Things will work out, and because Paul wanted them to have unity in love, and he wanted their knowledge to grow, he wanted them to have a sincere understanding for the deeper things in life. And so, is your spiritual maturity growing, Strong Tower? In order for you to have spiritual maturity, your both your heart and your mind has to grow together. That you may approve the things that is excellent, that you may be sincere without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. We need to know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And when we do the things that are right, we will be inwardly clean until the day of Jesus Christ. Write this down in your margins, Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna emphasize verse 14. You can read 11 through 13 your, your, yourselves. But it says you now, it, talk, it talks about the, the sincere milk, and then it raises the question, when will you be able to eat solid food? When will you be able to eat solid spiritual food? When will you understand the deeper things that God, of God's word? This will happen when you learn the difference between what is right and wrong, and you do what is right. When you do what is right, you will learn the difference between what is right and what is wrong. But ladies and gentlemen, no child, no baby can be on milk for the rest of their life. You have to feed that child at some point some solid food. You can't be spoon-fed the Word of God for the rest of your life. You have to get into the Word of God And dig for yourself and eat the sincere spiritual food that God has in his word for you. And when you do that, you will begin to grow stronger and stronger in your own spiritual maturity. And if you put this in you, I promise you, when the situations and circumstances of life and all happen, God will get it out of you. He will pull it out of you. But as my grandmother said, if you don't put nothing in, you can't get nothing out. She used to tell me all the time, if I could just open up your head and pour it in, but that don't happen. You got to get it for yourself. Amen. So sometimes we have to listen and learn so that we can understand. When you're doing all the talking, you're not listening. But sometimes we have to listen so that we can understand. And being filled with the fruit of righteousness. Here he's simply talking about the fruit of righteousness come from a mature relationship with God. The fruit of righteousness. What is the fruit of righteousness? Galatians 5.22 tells us now that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. When you have a right relationship with God, your current situations or circumstances are not as important as what you do with them. Paul's current situation and circumstances was not as important as sharing the gospel with the prisoners that was in prison, with the Philippian jailer, and making sure that his, the Philippian jailer's entire household got the gospel message so that they could all believe in Jesus Christ. So what you do with your current situation and circumstances depends on your own spiritual maturity. Amen? And so there are eight principles that I want to share with you in order for you to grow to spiritual maturity. Eight principles. And I think we have a slide, hopefully we have a slide, um, that will, will show this. The first one is... God is ultimately responsible for for our spiritual growth. God is ultimately responsible for our spiritual growth. In Isaiah 61, 11, God plays the role of a seasoned farmer, carefully preparing the soil and maintaining the garden with the vision to see each seed grow to maturity. God is the one that is responsible for for us to grow from the beginning of our life to the very end of our life. And he chose this before the foundation of the world was created. He knew exactly what, where you would be this day. The second one is that if God is responsible for our spiritual growth, then we are responsible for the effort, the diligence and the disciplines are absolutely necessary for growth. So, if God is responsible for the resources and able and in the enablement of our growth, then we're responsible for the efforts. In 1 Corinthians nine twenty-four and twenty-seven, Paul states and all that the race. There's a race that is to be run, and a race, uh, and all the races run the race. But only one racer, one person gets the prize. Only one team can win the Super Bowl. Only one team can be the NBA champions. Only one golfer can be the the golfer of the year, whatever they call them. them. (laughs) Only one soccer team can win the, the World Cup. But everybody has to run. Everybody has to participate. As Christians, we all got to run. We're running for the prize. We're running to be able to live eternally with God, to live where God lives. I want to live in eternity forever. Do you? And so to do that, Every mature man and woman must be in a diligent training plan to grow. Every mature athlete has to have a diligent training regimen in order to compete. What is your training regimen? Do you have quiet time? Do you have scripture that you read? Do you have a favorite scripture? In looking through the scriptures, looking at the scripture through the eyes of Middle Eastern lens and all, Christy teaches us that in the Middle Eastern culture, they'll just start telling a story. And they expect everybody to know what that story is about and where to pick up in the story. But if you don't know the story, you will be lost. And so that's why we have Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. But in that culture, they would just start telling the story. And people would know what they were talking about. That takes a discipline. That takes a, a, a natural study every day. And when we were over in Israel, you know, I thought something was wrong with them little children and all sitting there and all doing this and chanting and going on, you know, and just rocking back, back, and, back and forth. And I touched that freed and I said, look at them. What's wrong with them? You know, but they were going through this regimen of learning the Bible, learning what they needed to know about what they, they believe. And so we have to do the same thing. We have to have a discipline, and we have to have a regiment. The third spiritual growth you know, that we have to have or principle that we have to take is that spiritual growth uh, potential may not be easy to see at first. God enjoys making something great out of, out of the least little bitty things. Anybody ever seen a mustard seed? You know how small a mustard seed is? I mean, it is the tiniest of all seeds, but did you know it grows into a gigantic tree and that birds can build nests in a mustard seed tree? I'm like, wow, how amazing. Who knew that a little boy from Raleigh, North Carolina, out of the tobacco fields of North Carolina, would one day have an opportunity to work for the city of Nashville under two mayors and be responsible for a major initiative to end homelessness, and not only that, he would call this little farm boy to be a minister and to go to seminary and to learn about uh, who he is and to be, be able to stand before his church family, and to share the gospel. Who knew? And I was told that I would never be nothing. But God had a different plan. And I'm, thank, I'm so thankful that I followed God's plan and not my plan. And so spiritual, the fourth thing is that spiritual growth depends on an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. In John 15, one through 17, Jesus describes himself as the, the vine and the Christians as the branch. And the only way to grow and bear fruit in our lives is to be closely attached to the vine. It is our responsibility to stay connected to the vine. There are some benefits for staying close, closely attached to the to the vine. The first is, fruitfulness in our lives. The second one is that if we remain in Christ, he will remain in us. The third is answered prayer. He will hear and answer our prayer. The fourth is joy in the midst of trouble. And if you are born of a woman, you're gonna have some trouble. Amen? You know, I told you that there's three types of people in this world, right? You, you know who they are, right? People with trouble, people out coming out of trouble, and people on their way into some trouble. So if, if you're not having some trouble right now, just hold on. It's coming. It's right. <laughs> but in the midst of your trouble, you can find joy. Because the fifth benefit is that what a friend we have in Jesus. He paid the price. He's paid it all. He will be there for us. And so the fifth principle is God is primarily um, an inside out. It is primarily, growth is a primarily an inside out process. Not an outside in process, but an inside out process. Growth relates more to the condition of a person's heart on the inside than a person's encounter from the outside. But we try and dress things up see what we look like on the outside, you know, and the inside is a wreck, is a mess. You all know the story and you know, all of the family and all that took the cat and dressed the cat up, put the, put the cat at the, at the table. And the cat and I was there and in his tuxedo and his little, nice little bow tie, you know, with the nice fine chowder in front of him. And the cat was doing really well until the mouse ran across the floor. <laughs> when the mouse ran across the floor, off came everything and down in a dash and all the cat went. What was on the inside came out. They were trying to dress him up to look nice and and pretty. But what's on the inside of you, given the right circumstances, the right vices of life, will come out of you. Amen? Amen. But also, by the same token, whatever God puts in you, he will get it out of you. It will come out in a way that brings honor and glory to God and works out for your for your good. So it is an inside-out process. Six, spiritual growth um, relates, to every, uh, relates to every aspect of your life. What begins inside the person eventually affects every aspect of a person's life, their family, their friends, their work, their leisure time, and their businesses. Deuteronomy tells us that we are to love God with our whole heart, with our whole mind, body, heart, and spirit. The challenge for us here is that to change our heart, our belief system, as well as one's behavior. I believe that you cannot break the cycle of poverty until you change a person's heart, their belief system, and their behavior. As long as they hold on to a belief system that will not work and hold on to a behavior that is contrary to the will of God, their heart will not change and they will forever stay trapped in poverty. But if you change their heart, you change their belief system, and you change their behavior, and you give a person an opportunity to have some dignity and to have a job, they will change their circumstances in life. And they will move forward. And so everything that we do, our spiritual growth impacts, you know, our, our lives that we live. The seventh principle is that growth happens most, uh, happens most naturally within a close social context. A family provides the most natural environment for children to learn to love and honor God. God's plan has always been for parents to model, teach, and train their children within the intimacy of the home. And the same principle is true in the church. God's plan has always been for the church to model, teach, and train adults and children in the intimacy of the church. And when that does not happen, children will naturally gravitate and go out and try and find a way to find the love and the security that they need that they cannot get at home. And if members of a church is not growing spiritually, not getting what they need in the church, then they will go elsewhere to find where they can grow spiritually. And so we have a responsibility here at Strong Tower to make sure each and every one of you are growing spiritually and that we can nurture you. And one way of doing that is that everybody in here needs to belong to a huddle group. Amen. Didn't see that coming, did you? Because it is in the huddle group that we get to find out more about who you are, what you're going through, what bothers you, what doesn't bother you, what your likes are, what your dislikes are, what you're struggling with, what you're not struggling with. And if you like me and I'm like you and I told you we, we are, we got some stuff in our family that if your family is like my family, I ain't never seen such a folk in my life. I got some folks in my family I gladly give to you and not ever <laughs> want to take them back. But growing to spiritual maturity tells me I have to think fondly of them. Wow, what a challenge. What a challenge. What a challenge. The last spiritual principle that we have to um, adhere to is significant growth occurs within the context of frustration, suffering, and challenge. Did you know that we often grow most during difficult times? It is during our most difficult times that we we grow. Um, In the exercise uh, arena, uh, Nanette, they say, What, no pain, no gain? You know, Um, I am not looking forward to going back to work out. Uh, I haven't worked out in some weeks now, and over the Christmas holidays, I've had more uh, chess squares and more cookies and more caramel cake and all than, uh, than I can share to talk about, that I want to talk about. And I know when I go back and all to work out, it's going to be brutal. It's not gonna be a pretty picture. But in that suffering, I know and you know, all that I will get stronger. My legs will get stronger. I hate burpees. I hate burpees so much and you know, all that our trainer call them cliffies. You know, that's that's what he calls them. You know, it's time to do some cliffies. I hate burpees. And I know those burpees are going to kill me, but every time I do a burpee, my back gets stronger, my legs get get stronger and my shoulders get, get stronger. So I know and all that it's going to do me some good. At least that's what I keep, keep telling my, myself. <laughs> so throughout church history, persecution and suffering has always served as a way of making the church stronger and more resilient. The test of suffering gives us the chance all to strengthen our faith in words um, rather than trusting in our feelings. God uses suffering and persecution to challenge Paul to a higher level of thinking, to a higher spiritual life. When we view suffering in this light, our suffering changes our, our response to how we look at things. And it causes us to think, so why am I following God? And when we raise that question, God draws us closer and closer to him. But if we did not suffer, we would find ourselves way out here somewhere, disconnected from God. And you can know scripture and still be disconnected from God. You got to stay in close contact with a family that will hold you accountable, that will draw you in, that will call you on your stuff, that will keep you from from straying. Because sheep don't have sense enough to stay in the herd. They just wander off. And that's what we're like. We're like sheep, we'll wander off. And when you wander off too much, If the shepherd has to, he will break the sheep's legs, put the sheep up on his shoulder, mend him, and carry him around until he's strong enough to walk again. But then when he puts that sheep down, that sheep will stay right there by that shepherd's side. But the process is painful. I'm so glad that I have a shepherd that loves me enough that causes me to go through some suffering sometimes. Because if I didn't suffer, I wouldn't praise him. If I didn't suffer, I wouldn't talk to him. If I didn't suffer, I wouldn't lean and depend on him. I'd be out there on my own, doing my own thing, trying to do it my way, and my wife would probably ask me, and how's that working for you? Our way doesn't work. God' way always works. And so, my fellow brothers and sisters, when we understand and apply these principles to our lives, we'll be able to grow in spiritual knowledge and understanding. And our lives will bring much glory and praise to God. So, Strong Tower, be strong in your spiritual maturity. Be strong in your faith but also be strong in your spiritual maturity so that you don't find yourself having a pity party. But to do that, you got to know Christ for yourself. And so I want to ask, I want to extend three invitations. The first, is there anyone that does not know Christ as their Lord and personal Savior? Anyone you would just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. No one here is going to judge you because we've all been there. We just want to make sure that you know Christ, the one who hung, bled, and died on the cross that was invented by the Persians, perfected by the Romans to inflict the greatest amount of pain over the longest period of time. But he did that for a sinner like you and me that we get to live eternally. But he got up early one Sunday morning that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So if you don't know him that way, I invite you right now, if you've been that sheep that have strayed and you need to come back, then I invite you to come to the altar right now as well. The prodigal son came home and the father was there with open arms, ready to welcome his son home. Well then the third invitation that I want to offer you is simply this. If you've had some trouble, you're going through some trouble, or you're coming out of trouble and you need to lay it at the, at the foot of the cross, then I invite you to come and lay it at the altar right now so that we can pray for you. And I'm going to ask, some of the pastors and some of the elders' wives and the elders to come and pray for you. Is there anyone that needs prayer? Would you come on down right now? Father God, we thank you that we can come to you with our problems, with our brokenness, and leave it all before you. And so here we are, Lord, broken, hurt, but yet we're still standing. Our heads are bloody but unbound. those who desire to come before you. I pray that you would give them the desires of their heart. I pray that you will work all things out for them. But Lord, there's nothing too hard for you. There's no situation, no circumstance, no problem that you cannot solve. And so Lord, we just give it to you right now in the name of Jesus we lift our brothers and our sisters up to you, knowing that you can do exceedingly and abundantly more than they can even begin to ask or think. And So, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate their minds and their hearts and draw them closer to you in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their pain. For, Lord, on the backside of their suffering, pray now that they are able to praise and magnify your holy name and tell others all I know I once was lost but now I'm found I once was hurting but now I don't I had this problem but this is how God worked it out So Lord, let them be a living, walking testimony because we know you have the power. Lord, you have the power and all to raise yourself from the dead. Surely, there is no problem too great that you cannot handle. So I pray that you will put that into their spirit and let them know that they serve an awesome God. A mighty God, a God that loves them so much that he was willing to pay the price for them. So Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for bringing them before the altar. Now give them the strength to leave it there, to leave it at your feet. Don't allow them to pick it up and to take it back with them to their seat. And as we leave this church, help us to leave all of our problems, all of our concerns here at the church. Don't let us walk out of here carrying burdens that we don't need to carry. So we give you our load. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for working it out. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.